right now. We're exploring somewhere in Texas. I'm not telling you where, but um, that we, we found out that there's such a massive shortage that we truly believe that all of a sudden we're like, wait, if we take advantage of this and we really go into these markets in five to 10 years, where could we really be sitting? So we're really thinking about that today and the tomorrow all in one. It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. One quick thing before we jump into the episode, we've recently put out a resource that I think you will find valuable. We all know the best learning lessons come from our mistakes, but what's even better than that is to learn those lessons from other people's mistakes. In our latest video series, I share some major missteps I've made as a real estate investor and how you can avoid falling into the same traps. To learn how to avoid these mistakes and save yourself time and money, go to upstreaminvestor.com forward slash mistake to find our latest video series. Once again, that's upstreaminvestor.com forward slash mistake. All right. Today, my guest is Angel Gonzalez. He is a veteran of the financial sector and has two decades worth of experience as a real estate investor. And today we're going to learn about how the concept of reshoring has shaped his real estate investing strategy, which markets are primed to take advantage of a manufacturing resurgence, Angel's approach to overcoming the biggest challenges facing his niche of the industrial real estate sector and how multifamily fits into a blended portfolio that consists mainly of industrial properties. All right, the time has come. I hope you enjoy this episode with Angel Gonzalez. All right, Angel, I've heard you mention that aligning your investment strategy with where the country is going over the next 10 years is something you've taken into consideration. I think this is very interesting because you don't hear a lot of real estate investors talking about that kind of timeline, right? You know, So tell me more about this and how this fits into your strategy. Yeah. So ultimately, what, what our, our strategy and thesis has really been derived upon is the idea of like, where do we position ourselves with regards to onshoring and reshoring uh, that's taking place in the environment that we're in today? So we know that there are a lot of incentives from the government and from other things about really fortifying our country, bringing things back, really creating less lag and supply change, different things. And so one of the things that we thought of as a company is how do we position ourselves that we already know over the next decade that that's where the movement's kind of going. And, and, and one of the things that we really appreciated about it is that that resurgence uh, within our, our own communities and things like that, we want to be part of. And so we started really trying to look at, okay, how do we play in this space and how do we position ourselves? So we started to really hyper-focus on some of the logistics standpoints, certain specific areas that allow with certain corridors and arteries of the United States where supplies and goods can kind of move a little bit more freely. And so we took that on as our strategy. And that's kind of really what pushed us more into industrial from where we were at before. And now that's really our bread and butter. I think it's a great strategy, right? Because you're really gaining support from something that's economical, right? Something where the trends are going. And uh, so before we dive into it, just to make sure everybody's on the same page, can you talk to us a little bit more about onshoring and reshoring, what those terms mean? And uh, you know, just to make sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah, no, for sure. So, so the main thing is it's, it's think about the idea of taking supplies and goods that we basically used to get from China and things like that. And now instead of having to wait for those shipments to come through for you to get your goods, now it's in your backyard. Instead of having one big massive facility, let's just say one part of the country, maybe you have three or four 
facilities throughout the, the country, which are a little bit smaller, more compact, but easy to maneuver through. And so the whole idea about reshoring and bringing back the, the, the goods and services into the United States is really with the premise of how do you really target three really important factors? One, supply chain constraints. So that's one of the major ones. The second one, which is kind of a byproduct of that is, so you have supply chain constraints, but then also you have the ability to really maximize output for companies and organizations. And so by being able to move freely and do more things and not have lag time, they're able to really expand and be, have more vertical integrations that are taking place. And the last part, which I would say is kind of like a byproduct because I'm not into politics that much or anything like that, but ultimately what we found is that then it's it's some about the the, the security of, of our goods and security of our nation and different things, because if we become less reliant on other people's goods and services, we are actually in a position of power versus a position of weakness. And so when we kind of took all those ideas and, and strategies and, and we started figuring out what demands were doing, that's where we really realized that there was a really huge opportunity here. And that's what we really have focused ourselves on is how do we align ourselves so we're part of the solution and really helping with some of the things that are happening around the country? Yeah, it's fantastic that you're actually paying attention and using those 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 ideas and what you're seeing happening in the environment and, and putting it to practice and how you're supporting your investment thesis. You know, for as long as I can remember, though, like companies were offshoring, right? That was like the big thing, right? You wanted to go somewhere else, you know, go to a different country and get cheap labor and stuff like that. What What's changed? So I, I think what the, what what the first part of it is what's changed is I think in for good or bad you know I think that COVID showed us a lot of things right it showed yeah, us yeah. that hey there's an opportunity especially if there is something happening elsewhere in the in the world how does that impact us at home and so I think the first part was the the mindset shift right there was a time where no one thought they could work from that employers were like no one can work outside the buildings and now we're looking at it and we're like hey wait a minute Zoom that's just another day it's Google sure. Meet this is part of the day's business. Well, the same thing happened when it came to supply chain stuff. It's it's one of those things where we're like, wait a minute, although it might cost us more from a labor standpoint, when you actually take everything in totality, are we really paying more or less or are we about even? Because now if we don't have, like, for example, I, I actually know a lot about the chip uh, shortage that happened in automotive space. Well, what that did was that actually had a lot of vehicles and a lot of different things sitting in ports, not doing anything, costing tons of money because you were not able to do anything with these this product that other was coming from overseas or was sitting in a port. But what would happen, what would have happened if we would have had those ship manufacturing plants right here in our country, we would not have had the, those delays and those problems that were costing millions of dollars to all these manufacturers. So one little thing that can happen elsewhere has such a major mm -hmm. impact right here in our backdrop. And so that's where we started learning and realizing that as we start seeing the, 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 the mind open up a little bit more, we start realizing that, hey, we can't just look at the labor, at how much are you paying per hour? You have to look at everything as totality. And I think now we're more educated. And I think right now we've also seen more opportunities knowing that Mexico is gonna be another big opportunity for, for, for things and goods to be. Instead of being in China, why not be in Mexico and come up through New Mexico and come up through these to Texas, Arizona? So there's a lot of places now that we're thinking about the world a little bit differently is, hey, right here in our backyard, we can take care of certain things. And I think that that's one of the, the, the big shifts that have happened is the mindset shifted, but also the economics have shifted. And I think right now we're trying to take full advantage of that. Yeah. And as you've gone and, you know, uh, gathered support for this investment thesis you guys are putting into place, right? Are you actually seeing real-time companies bringing stuff back to America to say, hey, we're going to build this here. We're going to do supply chain here, all that stuff. Are you seeing that in real time? 
Yeah, you know, I, I would say I, I think that in the beginning when we first started kind of getting down this path, it was not as real time. I think that there was still this pushback um, because people were really like, wait, this is a whole different way of thinking. Right. And so yeah. and this is a whole different way of spending our dollars as well. And so when we were looking at what people's curb behaviors were, we were not adequately positioned before because I think there was just too many outliers still and not enough education around them. Now, today. I actually would tell you it's a lot easier to have those conversations because it actually is hitting home. I've had people where I'm like, hey, you know, what, what if we can go ahead and fill, fill, figure out a facility that makes sense right near you? And then if you need extra storage or things like that, would that be something of interest? I see business owners are now being like, yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a lot more sense. So what you're seeing is that there's also a shift in energy around it and focus. And I think that the more we educate, the more we put it out there, the more we um, the one thing I will say is still a challenge is that you have to think about, okay, what is it that they have overseas? What is it that their needs are today? Mm. And how do we make sure that we have that facility available for them so there's not a, a big delay in, in that transition time? So that stuff is kind of some of the stuff you still have to work through. But for the most part, I think that now, I, I would say over the next three years, we really think that this is just going to really ramp up. I'd love to see it, you know, and especially being on the forefront of a trend like that, it could be massive, right? And you guys are are kind of, you know, taking the steps to be the people to do that, right? Especially in a great market, which we'll get into here in a minute, but I think it's fantastic. Um, the one thing I want to touch on real quick is, you know, industrial real estate is somewhat of a, I guess, a, a blanket term, you know, I mean, it encompasses a number of property types and a huge variety of tenants, right? But it, it, going along with your investment strategy and stuff like that, are you focused on a certain industrial property type that services a specific tenant or are you kind of just like agnostic, just kind of finding what works? That's a great question. I, I actually would say that when, I first, when we first initially thought to make the move over, um, we were really going to be hyper niche. We were going to like focus strictly on high in, um, uh, sorry, light manufacturing. We kind of were like, this is our only area of focus. What we found out though, is that when it comes to industrial is that we <laughs> actually now have changed the term It's multifamily and industrial because actually industrial, like you said, actually has everything from, you know, flex buildings to you got yards, you have storage mm -hmm. facilities. I mean, you have heavy manufacturer with distribution centers. So what we found out is actually if we can blend it, so we kind of look at more of the blend of kind of like we, we kind of position our portfolio and we're, and we're going more towards think about like a mutual fund, wherever we feel like there's a need or an area of opportunity where we can take uh, advantage of, we're going to add that into the, the mix so that we can have a holistic view of industrial as a whole. So we're, we're kind of taking mutual fund and banking practices and we're kind of using that with the industrial space and we're still trying to figure out where exactly we position ourselves. But I, at this current, current time, we're looking at all types of, of stuff, but I think we're leaning more towards the the, the outdoor yards facilities are mm. some of the parts that we really are starting to like more because of the, the the things that it can provide for some of these, these manufacturing firms and things like that. So we're trying to basically make it so that they don't have constraints with where they can position their storage and things like that. So now we're going more into that. Yeah, I think it's super interesting, especially you mentioned kind of like bringing folding in the multifamily with the industrial, right? You're kind of thinking this holistic approach because you guys do have a, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys have a a background in banking and stuff like that, right? Um, and so I think that that plays a lot into what your strategy is today, correct? 
That is actually correct. Yeah, but actually, uh, pretty much all the partners on the firm have either been in banking, executive management, or CPAs. So we're all the we're all the the math uh, and boring people in the back rooms. <laughs> hey, that's a solid foundation right there. That's that's who you want to have on the team, right? Uh, uh, the number crunchers and the guys with the big brains. So I, I love to hear that. But uh, you know, it is interesting to hear the blend and also kind of uh, just tagging onto that. You know, you want to get this stuff in the right area. And I know we were talking a little bit before the show about both being Colorado residents. You know, we're practically neighbors. Uh, but uh, you know. Colorado markets are also a focus uh, region for for your investments, right? I know you guys kind of hit everywhere, but uh, Colorado is definitely something you've been focused on. What is it about Colorado that, that keeps you guys investing here? Yeah, so Colorado is actually a great market for multiple reasons, right? So you have a great demographics when it comes to growth and all these different things that are happening within the populace of Denver or Colorado market as a whole. But then the other thing is, is the impact and the arteries that it provides in the services. So what we like to always think about is we think about like, what is the easiest ways for movement to happen? Um, because in industrial real estate, there are a couple of key factors that you got to think about. You got to be thinking about proximity to major highways. Mm. You have to think about the space. You have to think about clear height. So there are things that you have to logistically think about from that to loading docks. I would tell you even as crazy as, turning left for a truck driver versus oh, yeah. right. all these little things make a difference in industrial and Colorado's having some nice arteries that flow all the way from Mexico up through New Mexico and different things like that align it appropriately. Now, the one thing I will say about Colorado, it only probably services about 5% of the, of the, of the nation that it can really flow out to mm. where as we, we continue to understand the, the patterns more and different things, we're just going to keep looking at more arteries and different things that we can really align in order to really service uh, as much of the country as possible. But when you're talking about Wyoming, New Mexico, Colorado, wherever, Colorado is like the perfect spot to service up and down the, the highway systems. Yeah, I, I love the market here. You know, I uh, I don't obviously have any industrial properties here, but I could see how it would be very beneficial to have some holdings in this area because you're right uh, in terms of uh, proximity and large cities in this area. This is the, about the best you're going to get, uh, you know, being in the Mountain West, right? And so I think that uh, it's, it's pretty spectacular. And myself, even spending a lot of time in New Mexico, I know I can understand the, the you know, the the trails you have there and those arteries you're talking about. Um, Denver is going to be a great place for stuff like that, man. So I'd love to hear that you guys are doing a, a lot of stuff there. But, uh, and you know, We've talked a little bit about some of the the opportunities that you're kind of seeing within industrial real estate in terms of supply chain and and, and logistics and all of that stuff and why industrial is prime for that. But we haven't really touched much on like the challenges. We've heard a few, but talk to us a little bit more about some of the challenges you're seeing for the sector and, and what those look like, the ones that you're seeing boots on the ground. Yeah, you know, I, I think that there are a couple of key challenges. I think the barrier of entry into industrial is is, is one of the, the the challenges just off in, in its onset because there's not like a natural progression. Like with multifamily, it's pretty straightforward. I was one of those guys who rented to his college roommates and then, you know, and then had a series of single family properties over time, built a little portfolio, got rid of it. So that is a natural progression. What happens with industrial, especially because you're dealing with triple nets, leases, which is different than most leases types that people are dealing with. You're dealing with really an understanding now, like like I said before, you now no longer are just supplying like a roof over someone's head. You're, yeah. you're providing a roof over a business's head, but at the same hand, you have to also become a partner and, and, and try to make their lives easier. So the right, the thing about it is you have to really learn and understand, okay, how do you position yourselves to be the right kind of partner for people? How do you make sure that you at least meet all the the requirements that they're needing to grow their companies? Because at the end of the day, you become a steward for them. You ultimately are trying to figure out how do you take business owners 
and really provide the right environment for that they can foster and grow in, in a way that they want to in a meaningful way. And so when you're thinking about that, and then the, the other component is logistics when it comes to where is a good spot, where it's not, because I will also say, because industrial has is becoming like, we, we used to, I always used to think about this, that industrial was like the the red, you know, like the ugly child that yeah. you didn't talk to, you know, like, yeah. oh, that's just there. But <laughs> now it's become like, hey, industrial, you're like my my, my firstborn, I got to love on you. And so I kind of look at it, the fact that the, the temperament has shifted. So it's creating a lot more comp- competition, it's creating a lot more creativity, we're still dealing with a lot of the same financial uh, situations that a lot of people are dealing with as well when it comes to lending and construction. I think that people can understand that when rates are no longer what they used to be. When I started, I mean, you're talking about in the high threes, low fours, where you can pencil just about anything. And now we're in the, in the sixes and sevens. Uh, and, and you're thinking about that and you're like, wait a minute. So it, it's really making deals harder to pencil. So we're still dealing with a lot of the, the the headwinds that others are dealing with, but we feel that because of the stabilization of our product and the high occupancy and the high demand, that we, this is the right product for us. Yeah, and I love that you brought up, you know, the, the importance of understanding your tenants' needs and be able to provide them a quality service, right? I think that's obviously important because typically a lot of these are going to be long-term relationships. You want to make sure you have good tenants in there, right? But, um, you know, you bring up a lot of great points and you you say, you know, demand's still high. This is a lot of uh, desire for this product. What about supply? What is supply looking in terms of looking at these industrial properties right now? Where, where are we at with that? Supply is very short. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you right now, but that's that's the, the the dance right now. That's a little bit challenging, right? Is that we know that there's a high need for more supply, but because of where the banking situations are, right. they do not feel that there is. It's taking twice as long. It's twice as hard in order to get them to say yes to a to a construction loan or whatever the needs might be. Um, and actually, I just thought of an opportunity that is not too far down the road from us. And I'm over here thinking like, man, a couple of years ago, this thing will be easily no brainer. We're done. We're able to build a 33,000 facility for a tenant that's a national tenant. They're ready to go. We're putting all this stuff together and it's still, you're still fighting the battle to get this loan on a 10 year lease that's awaiting you on a national tenant with all the things that you possibly need. And I'm still having a fight, you know? So it's like, where, what, how does that make sense? You know, but, but that's just the world we live in right now. Yeah. It's crazy times, man, for sure. And hopefully, hopefully it'll get, I mean, we're starting to see a line out a little bit, but what, you know, who knows what could happen in the future, but uh, you know, despite these challenges, you guys aren't sitting idle, right? So instead of, instead of just, you know, sitting on your hands, you guys are getting creative, right? How are you able to circumvent some of these challenges that you guys are seeing in the market? I think right now in this market, I think you have to focus on what is in front of you, right? What, what is it that we can handle? Like for the first part, I will tell you, we have found an opportunity in, in an extreme area where where I and I think that a lot of people use it, but I don't think they understand how to use it better and more effectively. And what I mean by that is we believe that because of the things that aren't penciling the way they used to, we've gotten creative with our financing. Mm-hmm. Right. So we now put down more money or we go ahead and do seller financing where I can come up with the terms and the rates and all these different things. I can tell you right now, two of the loans that we're looking to that one of the deals that we were just closing and the other one we're looking to do, um, I'm well below five percent. Um, on those deals. And the reason why is because we were able to navigate those waters with some creative financing with the with the current ownership. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were having to use some really creative financing. We're also looking at the fact that, okay, there is a higher barrier of entry to building a building right now, 
but there's not a big area. And maybe after this show, there will be. Um, but uh, we, we're seeing that yards, like, for example, are a lot easier to get penciled and, and get working right away. And what I mean by that is buying land, clearing it up, putting cross concrete, fencing and lighting. So now I don't have to take months out of time to, to basically not have a, a project that's cash flowing. Now we can get turnaround times to be faster. The, the longest thing is finding the right land in the areas where where the movements are in alignment with what we're looking to do. Um, but once we find that the, the right areas, we can really take off. Like right now we're exploring somewhere in Texas. I'm not telling you where, but um, the, we, we found out that there's such a massive shortage that we truly believe that all of a sudden we're like, wait, if we take advantage of this and we really go into these markets in five to 10 years, where could we really be sitting? So we're really thinking about that today and the tomorrow all in one. I love to hear that, man. And, you know, uh, we may have to talk offline because I'm super excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this is good stuff, man. I love to hear. But, you know, um, listen, uh, you know, we're about to wrap up 2023, move yeah. into 2024. We've talked a little about what you're focusing on. What will you guys being pay, be paying particular attention to in terms of challenges or anything? But just as a real estate investor in general, what are you guys looking for over the next six to 12 months? I, I would tell you right now that we're, we had to get more creative when it came to logistical areas and, and demographics and opportunities throughout um, because I will say that there's parts of Denver that are not as uh, that you have more competition or the price points are a little bit higher than you want. Um, but then there's areas like what I just mentioned in Texas or Arizona or a couple other spots where there's a you're, you're able to get more bang for your dollar. So one of the things that we're focusing is other markets that have uh, that have not been tapped yet or have opportunities that are so serious that we believe that we can work in concert with some of the local communities. Um, to really kind of put some public private ventures together. And so we are really looking at identifying more of those opportunities in the future. Uh, I will tell you that, if, and this is for anyone that's listening and, and people in general, is that there are opportunities for us to work with our local government that people don't take advantage of. There mm. are certain types of tax implications that you can be provided depending on opportunity zones. You're also going to have opportunities where if you partner with the right cities, they will provide you breaks or different things that are needed in order for you to execute a plan. So I will also say if you find that whatever your, your area of, of asset pre preference is, still dig into the local the local government and local officials and really dive in because there is way too many grants, loans, opportunities, taxes, all these things that are not being taken advantage of. This is all. That's a great tip, man. And I, I you know, I know we're going to be following along with your progress. So uh, excited to see what you guys do in 2024. And obviously we're going to stay connected, but uh, Angel, this has been a great conversation. How can listeners find out more about you and what you have going on? Oh, absolutely. So listeners can find us at uh, keystoneprivatecapital.com is our website. We also have the Taking a Leap in a Commercial Real Estate podcast that uh, we, we put out every week. And then uh, and ultimately, we can also find us at keystoneadvantage.com. So, and we're on all types of social media. So at the end of the day, I'm Angel Gonzalez and you can find me. Trust me. <laughs> yep. You absolutely can. I know I spent hours looking at his stuff uh, uh, this week. So uh, go check out Angel's stuff. He's got a lot of good stuff. Social media, again, check out his website. A lot of great resources. I know I spent, again, uh, uh, too much time probably on there if I'm being honest with you but uh, it's fantastic Angel man this has been awesome really appreciate your time today hey well thank you so much Danny for having me man it's a pleasure yep absolutely man hey real quick before we get out of here do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast we're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.